Hey, welcome everybody. Excited to have you today listening in or viewing in whatever you're doing. Uh, welcome to The Pursuit. I'm your host, Ben Spangle. And today, very excited about our show today. I've got uh, someone that I've admired and looked at from a distance for over a decade now. And uh, he has made a, an impact in my life. I'm a big fan uh, of his book that we're going to talk about. One of his books, he has several, but that's Vince Pacente. And uh, if you're not familiar, familiar with Vince, I know many of you are, but if you're not, let me tell you a little bit of background. I'll tell you today, he's one of the most in-demand keynote speakers there is. Lots of expertise when it comes to working on and really accelerating extraordinary goals, how to use tools to become more resilient, overcoming obstacles like we all face. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to hear from today, New York Times bestselling author. I think you have eight books now, which is amazing. Uh, been married to a wonderful woman last 24 years, three incredible kids. And just to give you context on who you'll be listening from, some, some of his clients, I mean, uh, the list is too long to, to list, but some of, the, some of the names that you'll know, 3M, AT&T, IBM, GE, worked with Audi, worked with BMO for us Canadians, uh, MasterCard, New York Life, uh, Enterprise, Amex, I mean, and the list goes on and on and on. I think one of the impressive things too is um, with Vince is he's one of only four people, one of only four to get uh, inducted into both the Canada and the U.S. Speakers Hall of Fame which is pretty incredible. So Vince, so excited to have you today. Been looking forward to this and Me thanks too. for being on the show. Me too. Yeah. Let's have some fun with this too. I, I agree. Let's definitely have some fun with this. Uh, by the way, as, as most of you know, where, where I live in Edmonton, I think kind of neat facts, Vince grew up, I think in Shore Park is where you grew up. I did. Went to Salisbury Composite High School and, uh, and then went into Edmonton for fun because Short Park back in the day, I mean, we had a 7-Eleven. I think that was it. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's grown a lot since then. Um, and uh, yeah, but I'm excited, Vince. I mean, you know, when, when we think about you today, I mean, you built an amazing career. Uh, you're an Olympian, by the way. I forgot to mention that in your introduction, which we're going to talk a bit about too. Built this phenomenal career, wonderful life of fulfillment and abundance and success. Um, I'd like to hear a bit about, and, and certainly share with our audience, a bit about the backstory behind that. And just kind of, you know, what was it like in the earlier days of life? Did you have that success growing up? Or tell us a bit about that. I would say no. In fact, I, you know, there was, I never answered this question uh, or been asked this question. I'll bring it up. You know, my parents took us to take a course on meditation. I think at the time, Shirley MacLaine and the Beatles were doing we're doing transcendental meditation. It was all the rage. So I learned how to meditate. And within a month or two, at 14 years old, I went from this kind of introverted uh, kid, you know, thinking back, I was kind of a little put, put into a little bit of a shell in second grade where, you know, I was just kind of different kid. I was kind of daydreaming and that kind of thing. The teacher would put me in the front of the classroom and there was a good deal of, um, of, well, if this is what's going to happen, I want to just hide my own shell. And the meditation actually brought me out. I ended up being uh, starting for a teen center in Sherwood Park. I did mention at the time, you know, it was 7-Eleven was our only, uh, you know, entertainment as a teenager. And so I created this board for the teen center association and it was in the news on the media. And so if you think of that as success, I guess I was, uh, the valedictorian for Sal Comp as well. And, and as you know, in Canada, well, at least where we were, 
you were elected the valedictorian. Now, remember, I would play clarinet in the band. It wasn't exactly in the cool crowd. <laughs> it wasn't a popularity contest. Yeah. Um, I remember being up against Scott Sangster, who was a, uh, I um, went on to go to Harvard University on a hockey scholarship, and hockey was all the way. I mean, Scott was just the guy, you know. But to be in front of 2,600 people at Jubilee Auditorium, with a, there's this passion inside all of us. Hmm. And I call them soul taps. And soul taps is when somebody, something or some situation or whatever you call it, is a tap on the, a metaphorical tap on the shoulder, which means pay attention. And for some reason, when I was in 10th grade, I was just fascinated by the chance to be the valedictorian for Sal Comp and, I, and to make a difference. There was something inside was I want to make a difference. I want to have impact. I want to have, be able to leverage any experiences I have for others. And, and uh, so I would say meditation kind of set the, the inflection point, if you will. Hmm. And then getting a standing ovation in front of 2,600 people at the Jubilee Auditorium, and then after that going, wait a minute, there's something about this, right? Yeah. Then I saw Peter Lougheed, uh, a politician back in the day, give a speech to 5,000 people as he was retiring. Yeah. And I looked on the TV screen and I went, that's it. I want to be a politician. <laughs> wow. Just, so, uh, you know, went to uh, at University of Alberta, and I packed four years of education into six years. <laughs> nice, well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And ended up uh, being fascinated by sports marketing, was in the recreation and uh, administration program, which really took a lot of business courses, and ended up being the director for Luge for Alberta, because I'd raced in Luge for a couple of years. And, uh, but I quit Luge as a racer and became an administrator. And at the opening ceremonies of the Olympics in Calgary, watching people march in those opening ceremonies, uh, by tradition, the host country marches in last. And in Calgary, the first time we ever hosted the Olympic Winter Games, 30 plus thousand people in the stands are out of their chairs and the place went silent. There was no sound because the only person in focus that I could see was Bob Gasper. And when I started luge racing, Bob started at the exact same time. I quit. He didn't. He was on the Olympic team and I was in the stands with a ticket. Mm. And so very often we think that, that we're inspired by what a dream is or what success is or where we want to go. But very often we're inspired by that sting of regret or something we realize we've made a mistake or something I never want to experience again. And that was the inflection point at that point to say, you know what, you don't know unless you try. And so I quit everything and went into real estate sales. Okay. <laughs> Had it all figured out about sell about 50 or 60 houses in August. <laughs> and then uh, four years later, I was, I was competing in the sport of speed skiing. Never ski raced prior to the age of 26. I was in the Olympics in Alberville. Um, and uh, vying for the gold medal, and I didn't. I didn't win the gold medal. I mean, it was it was uh, placed fifteenth in the Olympics. But to be the top ranked Canadian, and what I learned from Luge about mental training and the power of the mind and all that, that led to uh, being able to compete. And then after the Olympics, there was no demand for me to speak at their event. I mean, I thought, what if I win the gold medal for Canada, then I could be on the speaking circuit. And that was my exit strategy. Okay. 
And then it was 18 months after the Olympics um, that I had the chance to speak to the first group. And that just, you know, a good idea won't go away, Ben. And um, the good idea at that time was you have a chance to make a difference in other people's lives. This soul tap of, of whatever was burning inside to pay attention to that standing ovation and the Jubilee Auditorium at the valedictory speech or any chance to give little speeches here and there. It was just like, there's something in this. And, uh, and here we are. That's a wonderful story. That's, that's amazing. I love that idea of soul taps too. And I wonder, you know, how many people that are listening, I think I've had that, you know, I, yeah. I, I know I've had that experience. You know, you've had one when you don't know what it means, <laughs> you know, right. all it means is pay attention. Right. And so my first book I wrote called the invincible principles, I call it the mathematics of opportunity. Mm. And it's basically, if there is an opportunity, it's, it's a door that you need to walk up to. You need to turn the handle. You need to open that door and you need to look inside. You don't have to go through the door. And even if you do go through that door, give it a test ride of where you are now. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to do that forever because the mathematics of opportunity means there's another door. And that other door will lead to another door. And uh, it, it, I think we're, we immortalize or idolize people that have been immensely successful. Like, let's say Steve Jobs, right? Mm -hmm. That's all he did. All he did was just open doors and go through and say, well, what's through this door? What's through this door? So um, for us to do that and to leverage the mathematics opportunities, you, you, you end up not only achieving uh, what you hope to achieve, but exceeding your own expectations just by doing that. So, yeah. So good. And I, th I think that, you know, for a lot of people listening too, especially in, in, you know, challenging times, which we all go through seasons in our life. And, and certainly, you know, this year would be, you know, one of those ones for a lot of people, but that idea of those doors being present, but are you opening them? Right. Are you, are you taking a look inside and just what you talked about earlier, that idea of, you're not going to know until you try. Right? Yeah, you, yeah. The soul tap. Pay attention, yeah. and then pay attention to what? Well, you don't know. <laughs> like, right. there's so much. This the pandemic has been such an accelerant for uncertainty, right? Mm -hmm. That as we start to realize, well, what is next? Some people, some of us, have lost our jobs. I mean, you know, me personally, with being on top of the world, with giving speeches at conferences and conventions and mm -hmm. making more in an hour than I made in an entire year working for the Alberta Sport Council, right. <laughs> you know, it was like rock and roll and all of a sudden <laughs> it just yeah. vanished. And uh, yeah, so here I go. There's, there's, uh, I could stay in fear and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a good speaker. I should be speaking. I should be at events. I'll just wait till this all blows over. Right. Or you can walk up to a door, open it up and say, what's it behind this door? Safety, radical safety. What is that? And so, you know, there's all sorts of things I've been doing of late that I wouldn't have guessed to do, but this accelerant called um, the uh, pandemic COVID-19 yeah. uh, has, uh, has given us the privilege and the nudge, <laughs> the kick in the ass to move forward. Right. So that's it. Yeah. And I, I think that just shows, you know, for everybody listening to just when, when you hear someone like Vince, as successful as he is, the mindset, even the key word that he used right there, privilege. So this, this, this pandemic has given us the privilege to start to move in a different direction versus, you know, we've heard a lot of people talk about, well, either you can panic or you can pivot. And hey, I mean, we've all had to pivot in some way, shape or form. So 
I mean, that's amazing. So let me ask you this. So you you would have been when you were speaking to 2,600 first real speaking engagement that were you 17 then? Is that 17, 18? I was 17 when I graduated from high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 17. So you, you have this soul tap at that moment. I'm sure just unbelievable feeling. I'm sure. Yeah. Did it dawn on you at all that I could see myself, this is going to be my mission. This is going to be my, you know, my career in life. Yeah. Yes. No, actually, no. Because when I joked about, hey, I want to be a politician, I was dead serious about being a politician. When I saw uh, Peter Lougheed speak, that's another soul tap. Pay attention. And the only way I could contextualize what I was seeing was a politician in front of a bunch of people. So I knew that I would be a politician. I just knew it Mm. deep deep down because that was my context of it. Mm. So uh, it's... um, John Lennon said, if you want to make God, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I think that share your plans, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a cliche. We've heard that before. Uh, but that's the human condition is to make plans based on our context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, context changes when you expose yourself. I, 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 the world trip that I was maybe alluding to. No, I didn't. So in the middle of my, my University of Alberta career, I took a year off. And I backpacked around the world. Uh, I sold my car. Uh, the summer job I had, I was knocking down some coin. And and I uh, was able to afford the plane ticket, around the world plane ticket, started in Australia and traveled around the world. And this, this exposure to being able to travel around the world was such, I wouldn't have guessed that would happen. And this whole journey of being able to travel like that opened your mind. And I, my, nine months into this trip, or 10 months, I was in Portofino, Italy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a lunch. I think what I could afford was bread <laughs> because it was such an expensive place to be. Yeah. And, uh, but this, another kind of contextualization slash soul tap was this boat was, this yacht was coming in. And a guy in his 50s was on the, you know, the boat on the backside, just lounging. And I looked at that guy and I went, that's an option. I mean, that's an option to own your own boat and come into port in Portofino instead of being kind of stuck in this backpack mode. And so when you go out your front door, just go out your front door and you will be exposed to a new context. And new opportunities and new ways to do it, and um, and that really exposes what what maybe that soul tap is all about. Mm. So yeah, so I would say that, that we each have those moments, and uh, unless we stay in our own little bubble, and um, this is something I've done as a soapbox, if you will, but there is a buttload of closed loop thinking going on. Right, we're just in our bubble of thought. And this is the way it is. And we cherry pick anecdotal evidence to have our uh, cognitive bias, our confirmation bias of what's in our closed loop thinking. And so this is what's polarizing people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, to have open loop thinking starts with a communication strategy. Get this. It's called listening. (laughs) 
it's not about communicating. And then, uh, you know, it's like communicating on social media is just one way, isn't it? Right. It's like, this is the way it is. And this is my opinion. My opinion happens to be fact. And all of a sudden this closed loop thinking goes into this environment where it's just one way. Uh, so it really is our responsibility of anybody listening to this is to actively listen to the opportunities and evidence and data and, and staying out of the closed loop thinking that could be one television station or it could be one internet source or it could be the people that we're hanging with. Yeah. Um, you know, walk out that front door, open another door, the mathematics of opportunity. There's so much that is waiting that for you to discover, if I could put it that way. Hmm. You, for you to be in, in that constant state of curiosity yeah, yeah. Is, is such an essential quality today more than ever and to lead by example. And then if people are engaging in closed loop thinking, um, you know, if they, they're not going to listen anyways. So why, why have them as a connection? Why have them as a, uh, as a person, you know, I don't know if, if we can change people's mind. We can lead by example though. That's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's like that. Uh, that's a great point. And that uh, analogy, the mind's like a parachute. It only works if it's open, right? Or if it only it probably works best when it's open anyways. It works best when it's open, yeah. That's right. That's right. I want to I talk today about, uh, as you know, we've talked about off camera too, but uh, I'm a, for any of you watching, you'll see this, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of your book, The Ants and the Elephants. I've read it number of times. Um, I remember reading it a decade ago. As soon as I read it, my wife, Tiffany, I said, Tiffany, I want you to read this. And then with the, since then, we've given many copies away and, and I love it. And, and I'd like to, if you're okay, I'd like to, to talk about a couple of concepts from that book and have you maybe expand on them a little bit. And yep. um, yeah, for, for everyone listening, by the way, number one, if you don't have a copy of this book, The Ant and the Elephant, go and order it. I'm, I'm sure you can order it in any major place you can buy books. You're able to get it for sure. And uh great book. It's, it's written as a, a parable or a, a story, the ant and the elephant. And at the end of the day, it's our conscious and subconscious mind, which I know, I mean, you've been studying for, yep. I, I think, uh, actually, maybe you can talk a bit about this. I think a major break for breakthrough for you on that was you attended a, a seminar of some sort. It was in 92, I think, where you really started. Is that yeah. Yeah. So it, let me back up a bit. So when I was luge racing, our coach, Danielle Nadeau and um, Hanson, I uh, forget his first name, were both my coaches and they were all about mental training. Danielle Nadeau, especially, she was just saying mental training is going to help. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting idea, you know, never knowing really the backstory and then used it in the ski racing. The reason I got to the Olympic Games was because of mental training. Hmm. And it was after the Olympics, sitting in a session by Dr. Lee Poulos. And he had done research where, or come across research where he found that in a second of time, your conscious mind is processing with 2,000 neurons. So 2,000 neurons are in your brain right now, approximately, communicating to each other, facilitating conscious thought. So your conscious thought while I'm speaking is, uh, you might be thinking, oh, look at those old skis in the background. Or you might be thinking, oh, there's an elephant over there. You might be thinking, uh, you know, that guy looks like Steve Martin, Bill Clinton can't decide. <laughs> you know, but my wife says, you, you know what you look like? The old man from Up. And you're like, really? <laughs> Get off my porch then. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, anyway, so whatever your conscious mind is processing with, with 2,000 neurons, compare that to the subconscious mind in that same second of time is processing with 4 billion neurons. <laughs> 2,000 conscious, 4 billion subconscious. Now, who's in control? Yeah. The subconscious mind. Yeah. All right. So the ratio of activity between the conscious and subconscious mind is the exact same ratio between an ant and an elephant. The ant, you held up the book. I'm going to hold it up too. The ant is the conscious mind. The elephant is the subconscious mind. And to have an ant on the back of the elephant, does the ant see elephant? No. The ant doesn't see elephant. It just knows where it wants to go. And let's say the ant, the conscious mind, your intention is to go west. So you start marching west. And what if the elephant is headed east to this marching east? Which way are you going to end up? Hmm. East, thinking you're going west. Yeah. And so the relationship with your con between your conscious and subconscious mind is such an important piece of alignment. Meaning to have your intention and your subconscious agenda headed in the same direction where the conscious and subconscious mind are going in the exact same direction. If you had 2,000 neurons and 4 billion neurons headed in the exact same direction, how much easier would life get? Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the reason for this book was to, to, I, I actually took the formula that took me to the Olympic recreational skier to Olympic games, ranked 10th in the world in four years. Okay. That wasn't, Wow. That wasn't happenstance or, oh, he must be a naturally good speed skier or something like that. Skiing over 216 kilometers an hour down a mountain, national record five times, was not an accident. It was not by chance. It was by aligning 2,000 neurons and 4 billion neurons in the same direction. So the formula in the book, we can go through this if you want is what was I used as an athlete and what the ant and elephant used to get to the oasis, which is that parable you mentioned. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And, and I do want to talk about that. I really love the idea of, of how do we help people with, because everyone's got intentions, right? Especially, you know, depending when, when you're listening to this, if you're listening at the time of release, it's going to, you know, start of a new year, but whenever you are, we've all got things that we want in our life, but then that elephant, I mean, how often is, as you said, the elephant's going the other way. We, we all know what it feels like to say, hey, I want to go on a diet and then end up looking in the mirror and you get out of the shower going, ah, <laughs> like what is going on? <laughs> no more mirrors. That's it. Yeah. Or, or financially, right? Financially, you make an intention and then, you know, a few months down the road, you're going, what? How, did I, how did I end up here? Or relationships, right? Oh, this time. And then you end up in the same kind of dysfunction going, how, why? Yeah. Is this happening? It's happening because your ant and elephant aren't aligned. Yeah. And aligned because your intention, where you intend to want to be, is something at the subconscious level is taking you in a different direction. And how you get into the subconscious mind, that's the tricky part. And that doesn't have to be complicated. There's it, just a formula attached to it, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let, let's talk a bit about that when it when it comes to that formula. I mean, we've got I, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, and yeah. we're not going to be able to get to all of it today. Um, but I want to get to a bunch of it. Let's talk a bit about that alignment formula. Yeah. And so, someone's listening today. They say, "Hey, that's me right now. I want to make changes in my life, but I keep almost sabotaging myself." Yeah. Can you expand on that formula? 
Right. Well, it's not, it starts and ends at what I call the emotional buzz. Uh, what's been popularized by Simon Sinek, know your why. Mm-hmm. Well, I like that, but I think it could be even more powerful for you. And it's the emotional quotient attached to your why. It is a physical reaction from, from a thought of what your why is. The being able to look at something and go, it doesn't have to be realistic. It doesn't have to make sense. The soul tap, tap doesn't have to be, well, what, what, what's that got to do with anything? It means pay attention. And so if something has a physical reaction attached to it, it's worth paying attention to. For example, that speech by Peter Lougheed, 5,000 people on TV, there was a physical reaction from seeing that. Watching that on TV, I was like, that's it. There was something about that that I wanted to do. The speech in front of the Salcomp graduating class and parents and family, there's something about that. When, when a thought creates a physical reaction, it's a thought worth paying attention to. Mm. It's a litmus test for a good idea. A, it doesn't have to make sense. And B, you don't even have to like the idea. Meaning, uh, there, there's a book by uh, Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art. And I'll save you 20 bucks. <laughs> he basically, it's a great book, buy the book. But uh, in the book, he talks about if something scares you, it's worth paying attention to because it must be important to you. All right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, marching in the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games for Canada had an emotional buzz attached to it. Didn't make any sense, right? Because I didn't know how to ski race. But there was an emotional buzz attached to it. And that is a litmus test for 2,000 neurons and 4 billion neurons headed in the same direction. Mm. So now we're talking physics here. Things in motion tend to stay in motion. So how do you maintain that? Well, you get that's later on. We'll talk about that. But it starts and ends with the, the emotional buzz that a thought creates a physical reaction that is both an, um, uh, something you want to go towards, like there's some sort of magnet drawing you towards it, and there's some sort of anxiety attached to it as well, that it scares you. Mm-hmm. That is a magical combination for, for something that is on the horizon that is waiting for you to step towards. It's just waiting for you to do that. And, and, you know, so that's clarity. So that's the first of the five C's in the book, The Ant the Elephant. Yeah. Clarity, the, you know, clarity of vision. Well, it's way past vision. you got to see it and smell it, taste it, touch it, and, and uh, see, smell, taste, touch, and sound, right? Yeah. Uh, the five senses. Yeah. And then the emotion that would be attached to that, which is uh, gratitude and um, fulfillment and joy and all those things. Well, what if you had the five senses and the emotions attached to that as a clear uh, indication of what North is on you for your compass, what the direction you need to go is that emotional buzz. Because like I said, if it creates that kind of litmus test, that reaction of a physical reaction, Mm -hmm. and then it's 4 billion neurons and 2000 neurons headed in the same direction. And then people just better get out of your way <laughs> because they, you become so clear on that. That's clarity. Yeah. So, so good. And I love that stuff, especially that power of, you know, combining, okay, a, a vivid visualization of where you want to go, the direction combined with gratitude and these elevated emotions. And 
Uh, you know, for those of you listening, you, if you listen to our first show, we talk about that. And, and you talk about in your book, it's one of the first places where I ever read it. But if we can begin with our goals, you know, a lot of people listening, I mean, we got a lot of entrepreneurs on here. We got a lot of, you know, successful people already. And, um, and it, you know, high level employees, everything. And they probably do. I mean, a lot of these people have goals. I think one of the things that you talk about that's so great in here is when a deer or the elephant, when he, um, when, when he's getting coached by the owl, Brio, and Brio says to begin with, rather than I will do something, I'm so grateful that, and to kind of tune into that emotion of gratitude. Yeah. Yes. Gratitude adds rocket fuel to your goals. Yes. And, um, and you can compound the accelerant with, well, not just a goal, you know, visualization, let's call it experientialization, right? Experience what that is. What does it look like? Smell like what, who is there? Who's putting their right hand on your left shoulder? You know, what kind of awards are we receiving? What are the textures of the awards? What's the champagne taste like? What are the smells associated with nature where you've got this family reunion you're hosting or whatever? You know what I mean? Bring in the five senses. And, uh, you know, it, it's such a, I just did, I do a, a daily uh, breakthrough video and I just did one on um, audio brands, uh, audio branding or sound logos. And, you know, Intel, Intel, you know what Intel's is? Dun, 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 dun. You know, we all know that I've heard that before. Sure. Netflix is, ta-da, right? right. Uh, who else? HBO. <laughs> Okay. So those audio branding components add a layer to the experience for their audience or customer. Right. So my son, who is a musician, he's 23 right now at the time of this recording, and he's doing audio brands for small companies. Because it, you don't. Have, Netflix isn't the only company that's allowed to have an R, Intel or HBO or others. Why wouldn't you have an audio brand attached to your business? Because you're adding a layer of experience. And when you elevate the experience, whether it's internal as you go towards a goal or the experience your customers have with you, you you then add that rocket fuel I was talking about. This, this is this is about being able to have an advantage in a competitive landscape. And unless you start with that clarity, with the emotional buzz, then the rest of it's, of course, you're going to end up in a different place where you go, right, wait, how did I end up here? So mm-hmm. hopefully that answers your question. 100% it does. I, I got a question for you that knowing that. So we, the ant and the elephant, I mean, you know, two, 2,000 versus 4 billion neurons, as we talked about conscious and unconscious. Now, for a lot of people listening, they're familiar with, yeah, I know I need to focus on my vision. And I think he took it to a whole other level. I've never heard someone put it in that context. It's not just about visualization. It's experientialization right? And, and really tuning into that. What about this idea of what if people find themselves stuck in kind of, and this goes back to the elephant, but stuck in more fear-based thoughts? Yeah. And what, what would you say to that? Yeah. Okay. So... There is actually a technique, and it's a conversation that the ant and the elephant have with each other. And if there is fear that shows up, chances are it's the subconscious mind delivering that up to you to have that automatic response. There, there must be some sort of protective mechanism or at least a pattern that has been familiar to you in the past that would facilitate that fear. In both cases, the ant says to the elephant, thank you, right? This is silently to yourself, but you say thank you 
to the subconscious mind, the elephant, for giving you that recognition of the fear. Mm. Ask yourself this question. Is it taking me closer to the oasis? Where you want to go? West. Opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games. New York Times bestselling list. Whatever the goal is that has an experience attached to it. Is that fear taking you closer to or further away? Mm. 95 or 8% of the time, it's taking you further away. Yeah. So whether the fear comes from something external that comes in that creates, you can't do that. You don't have enough money. You're too short, too tall, too too much red hair, whatever. <laughs> and then, or it's internal, the same kind of like this, that's going to create that fear. Yeah. Thank you. That's not part of my vision. My vision is, and then you instantly go back to the five senses of what it looks like, smells like, tastes like. So you've replaced the fear with the outcome that has an experience attached to it that is so visceral that you've completely annihilated that fear, at least for the time being, because you've replaced it with the emotional buzz. And if you look at smell, it tastes, touch, you've gone into an experience and your subconscious mind will go towards that which you believe to be true. If you're the architect for your truth, meaning if you have something that it, you, is an experience attached to it, I'll give you an example. Let's say somebody uh, says something to you that hurt your feelings, right? Yeah. And I, I never know what to say at the time when you get when somebody says something bad, right? I go, <laughs> and it isn't until after that I go, <laughs> I know what I should have said. You know, and you go through all these things about all these scenarios of what you could, how you could have reacted. Okay. It happened once. Yeah. Yet you've experienced it how many times? Totally. Okay. So that's something innocuous, like somebody saying something bad to you. What if it was a divorce or what if somebody, something so egregious happened? I mean, something violent or abusive or whatever. How many times did it happen? Well, chances are it just happened once. But how many times did you re-experience that? Right. Let's keep reading. So you will gravitate towards your current dominant thought. Mm. If you're, if you're, if you are the architect for your truth, you can also be the architect for your truth. And to have that pivot, that thank you, that's not part of my vision, and to pivot onto, off the fear, onto where you want to go, you you eventually eliminate that fear. Uh, to the degree that, uh, you know, it's not going to help. And, you know, I was, I was, uh, this was years ago. I had a conversation. We were on the same platform, a guy named Bruce Jenner. Now, Bruce Jenner at the time was uh, called the world's greatest athlete. This was after his Olympic appearance in Montreal, but um, he was giving a speech at a corporate event. And uh, as we're sitting there, I said, well, how do you treat, how do you treat fear? Right? Like, like fear is something to be avoided, and I knew there was a part of it that I couldn't quite sort out. And he says, oh, you can also make fear your friend, where you can use fear to your advantage. So thank you. That's not part of my vision. And you can reappropriate the fear and say, well, wait a minute. Why don't I play a little game? So I would play a game where I would do 100 push-ups, right? Okay. And I'd be doing uh, in, in the 90s. And as I was getting 91, 92, the arms are just like, please stop. You know? Pretty, yeah. <laughs> And then I'd say, I won't get to the Olympics unless I do 105 push-ups, hmm. right? So I, I used fear to my advantage. And so I would do 
then instead of just 100, I'd do 105. Uh, I would play games like um, at Canon S. I was living at Calgary at the time and, at, uh, and going up these hills. And I'd know approximately how much time it may get to the top, right? And then I'd say, if I don't get to the top in 10 minutes or less, then I won't get to the Olympic Games. And so I'm telling you, when you got that why that is on rocket fuel with an experience and you uh, supersede that by motivating yourself, by using fear to your advantage, you can actually um, take fear. So that's a kind of a asterisk beside fear because it's not always a bad thing. And it, it can keep you safe in certain situations too. You know, the fear of not wearing a mask during pandemic, right? Yeah. Some people have politicized it or yeah. have an opinion based on absolutely no science. <laughs> Congratulations. Hey, but to be able to, 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 to use fear and, and protect yourself and others, well, hey, hey, that's not a bad idea too. So that's amazing. I, I love that. I've, I've read it, but to have that much detail, I, I think everybody, you're going to want to listen to what we just heard over and over again. I mean, that we're, we're not going to end the podcast right here, but we could. And that's a life changing concept because I know for almost everybody listening, it's, it's not, it's the truth is it's usually not the stuff as much that happens outside of us as much as it is what's going on inside of us that's getting in the way. And that idea of, is this thought, is this fear, is this thought taking me closer or further away from my vision? Almost always answer to be further away. And then just to say, thank you. That's not part of my vision. My vision is man, that is a powerful, powerful technique to start. To, I'm going I'm to start to apply that you know, immediately. I, I, just I, start, do it. Yeah. Do it forever now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, eliminate I, I, old patterns. There's, there's a lot of old patterns we all have, but I have new ones even coming up, showing up. It's like, what? Yeah. But, but when, when you're very clear on that outcome, yeah. uh, thank you. That's not part of my vision. You, you eliminate any patterns that could exist. I love that. I've been using a technique of just that negative thought. I'll come in, I'll just stop and then try and shift my thought. But to clarify that, thank you. That's not part of my vision. And I think for a lot of people too, I just want to highlight this too. Often we'll have these, these negative thoughts come in and you almost, sometimes your mind wants to get in a fight with it almost. Hey, and you're trying to over, whereas instead, if you can just acknowledge it, thank you. That's not a part of my vision. My vision is boom. There's no argument. So that's beautiful. I, I think that is just we cool. have a fellow Canadian named John Amat, and he was one of the first, I think he might be the first Canadian to summit Mount Everest. Hmm. And um, he said, when you run away from fear, it gets larger. When you run towards it, it gets smaller. Hmm. So uh, there's your answer. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Can you talk a bit about, because I think this is such to go along with that too, not so much as a pattern interrupt, but something as a, a great reminder to how to really focus on that vision more often. I'd love to hear you expand on the gold dot concept and strategy. Yeah. Yeah. The gold dot is, so let's say you've started with the clarity of vision, you know where you want to go. You've got a very clear outcome. And you know, this Olympic story of mine of getting to the Olympic games, marching in the opening ceremonies. Well, uh, to have that clear vision of marching in the opening ceremonies, you're going to need something tangible to facilitate the outcome of, let's say, marching in the opening ceremonies. And so uh, let's say uh, your outcome is um, that you want to have uh, unlimited wealth. You know, let's say you want to have 
the freedom to do anything you want, travel wherever you want to go. Okay, well, uh, what's tangible to go towards that? And so uh, mine right now is to have a mansion by the ocean, right? Mm. Now, what's going to have to happen is to stay on course, to be, to have a trigger for that outcome. Let's say marching in the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. We'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. So I would put up gold dots and here's a gold dot on the back of my cell phone right there. You can see that. And that gold dot is a trigger for the emotional buzz. Now, it takes a bit of work to do this, to establish what your goal dot is, but it's more than just a goal. And while I was racing, I'm the fastest in Canada, top 10 in the world. So let's break that down. Now we all know what affirmations are. Now affirmations are present tense. So you don't say I want to be top 10 in the fastest in Canada, top 10 in the world. I am fastest in Canada, top 10 in the world. When you establish an affirmation that is present tense, you've already been, you've already have it. You've, you've crossed the finish line. You're there. I'll give you a little tip that's happened since the Olympics is to add gratitude to your goal dot. And instead of saying I am, or I have say, thank you for, or I'm grateful for. And then something that's very tangible, Like we, you know, for us to have a mansion by the ocean, that sounds very materialistic, right? Our gold dot. Thank you for our mansion by the ocean. Well, you know what? Uh, What you don't know is when I see that gold dot, it triggers uh, my wife has her right hand on my left shoulder. I can feel the love and, and touch from her right hand. The sun is shining down. I can feel the heat from the sun. The sound of the surf is down below. Below us, kids are playing um, and having fun. You can hear laughter down here. You can smell the ocean and the surf. Um, we're actually drinking. Uh, she likes Bellinis, which oh, I don't like them. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> and I like just a good cold beer, right? And so we're drinking this and we're toasting each other. And you hear the clink of the glasses. And in the reflection of the sliding glass doors behind us, you can see that we're fit and trim. That uh, beyond those glass doors, there's awards for New York, more New York Times bestselling books. Mm-hmm. There is, um, uh, you know, a re- there's a piece of paper in there on the desk that has uh, congratulations from the bank. You own this free and clear, right? Okay. So there's a whole 3D scenario that has five senses and the satisfaction of gratitude infused into it. And it may take me 90 seconds to three minutes to describe this to you, but the more you you experientialize this uh, gold dot of yours, the more you can compress it into this this feeling like it's like, it's just this this shot of energy that has the five senses infused in it. And so every time you see a gold dot, it has an emotional buzz attached to it. You say, oh, I love that. You know, so th- that, remember, is the litmus test for the ant and the elephant, 2,000 neurons and 4 billion neurons headed in the same direction. So every time you hold, you see that gold dot, I've got a gold dot right beside my camera here. I've got mm-hmm. a gold dot over on my laptop over here. I've got gold dots. All, I've got gold dots on my, my mouse right here. Ooh, geez, I just did something. <laughs> anyway, so to be able to have that emotional buzz, you see that gold dot there. Yeah. 
So every time you see a gold dot, it's, it locks you in on the experience of your emotional buzz. This means that you are the architect for your dominant thought. This means that instead of like, what is your dominant thought right now? I'm asking people listening to this or they can see the podcast, either one. Are, do you, what is your dominant thought? Is your dominant thought just appearing to you? Or are you the architect for what that is? If you're the architect of it, what, what are your triggers to make sure that you're on course, on course? Mm-hmm. And so the gold dots is such a powerful trigger because you see that gold dot, it catches your attention. You go, oh, yeah, thank you for our mansion by the ocean, right? Ooh, <laughs> right? it just got it just there. And you can put this on extra rocket fuel if you add an anchor to it. We I just did it in front of you. This is my anchor, rubbing my hands together. When I rub my hands together, it's like, it's like this. And I use these anchors prior to every race run. When I was ski racing, every race run prior to you, when you set yourself up with an anchor like this, you go, oh, it's like peak performance time. So while it was mental training, every time I had peak performance and the experience and the five senses and all that, at the end of it, rub your hands together and then you anchor a peak performance state to when you need it. And then when it's prior to a speech, prior to this interview, I did this. I just rub my hands together prior to anything where it needs peak performance, rub your hands together. You get a physical reaction from this as well. So there's so many layers to this and it's, I guess it might sound like there's too much to it. So I put it in a book called the ant and the elephant. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) It's all there. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, that's amazing. I love that. And I was, you know, as, as you were going through that, I mean, we're all with you when you're describing your wife's hand on your shoulder. She's got the yeah. balloon, you got the beer, the oats and everything. I mean, literally, you can tell how vivid that is. What it did for me was I, I thought, okay, I, I think I'm doing a pretty good job with my vision of my goals. But when I, <laughs> you know, when you went through that, I realized, man, I, I got another level to go to. Next level. Yeah, always yeah. next level. Yeah. And you can always learn. Um, yeah, at the time when I was ski racing, it's I am the fastest in Canada, top 10 in the world for years. That's all I thought about. And it wasn't until after the Olympic Games I said, wait a minute, what if you added gratitude to it? Because mm. gratitude is present tense. And it's this, you know, I used the word earlier, privilege. When you are in the state of gratitude, the privilege of being able to have this come true, the privilege of having that kind of of, of uh, life uh, affirming uh resonance that 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 means so much with family and physical uh you know uh, fitness and wellness and all all that i mean it all comes in together in one nice tight little package and it's triggered by a gold dot that gold dot is if you get nothing out of this interview get your gold dot goal it's it's that emotional buzz yeah I, I, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to get my gold dots going. Just even as you pointed out, all those different areas where we can have them and just that that trigger and that constant reminder. And I, I'm a big fan on just gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. And if we can live more from our life from gratitude, how much better it is. Uh, Joe, Dr. Joe Dispenza is someone I, I read a lot on. And, and to, to further what you were talking about, he talks about with gratitude, that idea of that, hey, gratitude, the, the emotional signature of gratitude is I already have. It's already in my life. So you start adding that to your goals. Like you're so good. So good. Um, I want to switch gears a bit. You know, again, depends when someone's listening to this. At the time of the recording, we're in the middle of COVID-19, a pandemic. I mean, someone could be listening to this three years from now. 
But the reality is <clears throat> people are dealing with challenges and, you know, challenges are part of life. I mean, they, they come and go, but can you talk a bit about when these challenges come up, that whole idea of, we, we got to look at it. How can I start doing things differently? And just maybe expand on when you're in that challenge. Well, at time of interview, uh, it has not been released yet. And it's, I wrote a book called The Earthquake, Your Journey from Setback to Breakthrough. Mm. Now, I'm going to give you a bit of backstory here. So here, so far, we've been doing good in this interview, and it sounds like a great plan. Works in any kind of situation. Here's when it doesn't work. Everything I've talked about right until this moment will not work when you're when you're stuck in a chaotic situation. Meaning, there's no linear way out of chaos. And what we've been talking about are some very met- linear methodologies of, well, set your goal and do what the competition is not willing to do as an example. And then you go towards this and you do you execute and you do things consistently, all that. The ant the elephant is very linear in nature. Right. Uh, I wrote The Earthquake and it's an autobiographical parable, if you will, about yeah. the ant and the elephant. And it picks up where the ant and the elephant have an earthquake where their their entire world is broken up what they've known now when i say autobiographical i mean ben i i at 26 i made the decision to go to the olympic games and in two years i was ranked second in the world the 10th in the world and i went on to compete representing canada in the olympic games four years after the idea okay so uh, I use the same formula over and over again for the Speaker Hall of Fame, for the New York Times, and all this stuff. And I had this story, if you will, that I know how to do and achieve anything. Mm. And in 2008, when the financial crisis happened, I just met, built a house that's over two million. Right? Mm. I was. Um, at the same time, launching a book, and I put it pushed in all my chips. In fact, at the eleventh hour, towards the end of two thousand seven, I had a bunch of sponsors that had all lined up to do to purchase the book, the Ant and the Elephant, or sorry, the Age of Speed, which is the book that ended up on the New York Times bestselling list. Yeah. I had coupled books with the Ant and the Elephant, where if you buy a book, I guarantee that you're going to be able to get this book. Um, the second book, The Age of Speed, when it comes out. And it was basically setting up the momentum for a New York Times bestseller. It was all lined up. And then at the 11th hour, I was left holding the bag. I was getting credit cards um, in terms of, um, you know, 40, 50, $100,000 credit cards, maxing them out to be able to make sure this was all happening because the sponsors went away into the 11th hour. And I can do this because I've done it before, right? Like, just yeah. go all in. Yeah. And it was such a financially devastating situation with three kids and a family that was counting on me to deliver. And my wife was also in the same industry. And so her business was compromised as well. And there was one moment where I was driving down the road. We just had figured out how to keep the electricity on. They'd shut our electricity off in a $2 million home. Nobody knows this, right? Nobody, nobody in the outside world knows that we are going through an absolute crap show <laughs> of, in our personal lives. <clears throat> and so uh, the, 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 the meter of the gas meter on the car was on empty. 
There was no money in the bank. There was not, no prospect for income for the next three weeks. Uh, there was just no money for this, the gas for this car. And I went to the, the ashtray and I had quarters and I p- emptied that out and I pushed $7 and 25 cents of quarters across the counter at a gas station. Standing to the, my left were two moms that were moms of friends of our kids, meaning I knew them, they knew me, and they're the talky talk neighbors. They were the ones that, you know, just talk about other people a lot. Yeah. And I, you know, from an ego standpoint, it, I was done by that point. <laughs> I was absolutely at yeah. $7.25, knowing that this scenario was playing out. And when you are in that kind of chaos of having the feeling of having lost everything, you can be catatonic. And in the state of chaos, this formula that I just shared with you at this point was ineffective. There was no creative visualization or experientialization to get out of this. It was, there was no escape to it because I was in the state of a closed loop thinking of thinking this formula was universal in nature. So I wrote the book, The Earthquake, and in the book is something called The Solution Loop. And The Solution Loop is, you know, in order to get escape from that chaos, you got to start with the relationship of your conscious and subconscious mind and then switch into the relationship of um, being curious and creative at the same time. You're curious, creative. Does this work? 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 And most of, as you know, entrepreneurial efforts have mediocre or bad results, right? You can put a lot of money towards things and realize, well, that didn't work, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, that solution loop can allow, something will get traction. And then when it gets traction, it'll pop you out of that stuckness, if -hmm. you will. And so the entire book is how the, the different stages of how you can go through this stuckness and from a personal earthquake, whether your personal earthquake was losing a job from the pandemic or uh, getting the virus, uh, losing family member, bankruptcy, divorce, any of the kinds of things that are personal earth or natural earthquakes, uh, natural disasters. Yeah. And so when these happen to us, um, it's not linear. And for us to, to pop out of that um, is something explored in the book and also I'm hoping the reason you enjoyed the ant, the elephant is, is a pretty good story, right? There's a, there's a story there that without the content, you would still go, Oh, that's pretty good. You know, I get it. I'm motivated. I'm inspired. Well, this, this book is next level. (laughs) The story is just like, then what happened? Right? So super, super excited about it. It comes out October 5th, 2021. So um, depending on when you hear this podcast, it's uh, either on the horizon or it's come out and just, buy the book because I know you'd enjoy it. Or there might be somebody in your life that is going through their own earthquake and you can help them. Wow. Vince, thank you for sharing that, especially those, you know, intimate details of going through that in in 2008 there. And I think everybody can find in that story somewhere of their own earthquake that either they've been through, right. You know, they, they've survived or maybe they're going through right now. And um, I can't wait for the book to come out. I can't wait to get it. And like Vince said, Hey, 
you know, as soon as it comes out, if you're listening to this right away, when this episode's issued, make sure you're, as soon as it's out, we'll send something out on our social media to, to share with everyone that it is available. And if you're listening to this later, go and get a copy of it, get a copy of the Ant and the Elephants as well. Uh, well, while you're at it too, you're going to love it. Um, I want to do a kind of total 180 from what we've talked about. I mean, you, you've raised three incredible kids and I, I'd like to talk about, cause we got a lot of parents on here myself. I got two young kids, four-year-old and a two-year-old daughter, both girls. Yeah. Right. And um, I'd love for you to just share just how, you know, maybe, maybe some, even some parenting tips and things that you've used with, with raising kids, a lot of the stuff that you've learned, how have you applied that to, to be in a, uh, to be in parents? Yeah, we, uh, we get asked all the time. My wife and I get asked all the time, what did you do to create such extraordinary kids? Cause uh, Max with his music business, I mean, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary what he's doing. Uh, Alex, our middle child, she's uh, at Wharton School of Business, and our youngest is a phenomenal dancer. I mean, could go pro, but she's so fascinated by the film industry and uh, and business at the same time. She's taking those soul taps, if you will, and, and charging ahead, and they're all in their early 20s. So we'll see how they, their lives play out. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the, one of the things that if you ask them, what's the one piece of advice your dad would say to you right now? Mm-hmm. And it was, it is never make a decision based on fear. Mm. Cause we've talked a bit about fear earlier, but uh, we can hold ourselves back because we're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings or we're afraid of um, making a mistake yeah. or we're afraid of what we might lose or we're afraid but I can't think of one time in my life that a decision based on fear was ever a good thing, ever. And so I would say for parents, for you to get that point across is not only something verbal, it's also living by that example. Um, mm. A second thing is that, and you see it so much today, and it's so easy to criticize because they're your kids, right? You're going to protect your kids. You're going to give them every opportunity you could possibly give them. What, what I'd say the boundary is for a parent is you are, your only job is a facilitator. So our kids would come to us and say, hey, dad, I want to start a business. It's like, oh, okay, how are you going to do that? Could we stroke a check and make it happen for her? Yeah. But we would always, and one of the advantages of going through this, this crap show that, that I mentioned financially was they would come to us and we didn't have the money. And so we basically said, how are you going to do that? I'll give you a, a little example. Uh, Max wants to be a musician. He's uh, clearly talented. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, um, his band was up for Dallas's, I live in Dallas, Texas now, by the way. Uh, he was up for Dallas. His band was the new artist of the year. They were beat out by a guy named Leon Bridges, <laughs> who went on that year to win Grammys and be on Apple commercials and that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So clearly, clearly talented. He says to us, you know, I don't think I need to go to college. I'm not going to go to college. And we, we, instead of going, you are going to college, you're going to, you know, we said, oh, Okay knock yourself up. So he comes to us and says, I want my band to go on tour. 
And we went, oh, how are you going to do that, right? And so the night before they're going to leave, the band is going to leave, and all the parents made an agreement. We're not going to pay for this. They have to learn that this is real life. And they were 16 freaking years old, right? They just got their driver's license. So the helicopter parent in all of us is going to be like, well, we have to go with them. They have to have a chaperone. They have to all this kind of stuff. And we basically, you know, at 6 a.m. the next morning. Now, that night, by the way, I should say, they had no transportation to take their gear. (laughs) And they had $300 between the four of them. That's all they had, right? And they were going to open for this band that was a local deal named Seren. And they were going to open. Seren was being, you know, helping them out in terms of allowing them to open for them in the seven city tour from Nashville all the way to Chicago and then other cities and back to Dallas Mm. at 6 AM the next morning, Max had traded a buddy of his who had an SUV. So now they had something to leave in their, take their gear. (laughs) And my wife and I at 6 AM are waving goodbye to four 16 year olds who, you know, the proctologist called, he found your head, right? <laughs> you guys are going to crash and burn. I mean, not, you know, on the road, you kind of cross your fingers when you got teenagers, by the way. But, uh, you know, the, the whole thing, they figured it out. He, he came back and within days, Max said, you know what? I think I'm going to go to college. <laughs> Cause he was, it, it wasn't our idea. It was his idea which is always ends up being a better idea. Yeah. So amazing. Amazing. I love that. So really that a whole idea of never make a decision based on fear to teach them. But you know, I think it was so powerful where he said, Vince, that you've got to live it and we've, we've got to live it. And uh, just a great, great reminder. Yeah, they're um, gonna their knees, Ben, your kids are, you're, they're getting out of the age where they're dangerous to themselves. I have a theory that anybody that, uh, that, um, uh, poops their pants, isn't thinking properly. <laughs> you know, so so uh, until they're potty trained and uh, all that, then they start making decisions. And the more you can allow them to kind of figure it out on their own, of course, you're going to want boundaries. Of course, you're going to want to make sure that they're not going to go over a cliff or something like, or if there's no railing that you're going to, to, to facilitate browning boundaries, but be that facilitator rather than the helicopter parent that is the inclination for uh, many parents. That's so good. I'm glad you said I got to work on that. I was thinking with my youngest, Hannah, and she's she's two in a bit, and uh, she'll always ask questions that she knows the answer to. Is this is this your hat, daddy? <laughs> yeah, just facilitate more than hell. I got to work on that for sure. Um, yeah, you never arrive, by the way, ever. So <laughs> Yeah, I got a funny quick story. My uh, sister and her husband um, were vegetarians and they wanted the kids to grow up as vegetarians. And these kids were emaciated. They were just like, (laughs) they would come over and stay with us or whatever. And uh, so I'd give them bacon, right? (laughs) And they say, what is this? This is good. I said, oh, that's called carrots. (laughs) So anyway. Uncle Vince. Yeah, love going to Uncle Vince's for the carrots. Oh man. Hey, I, I wish we could spend, you know, the next week together and I'm, I'm looking forward to connecting more and more. I know there's some things you and I are going to be working on together, which I'm excited about. Um, l- let me ask you this. I know people are going to want to hear more from you. Where, where can people connect with you? Where are a few resources they could go to? 
My website, vinceposenti.com, will get you there. Uh, antandelephant.com, if you can't remember my name, antandelephant.com, that'll get you to me as well. Um, all over social media, I'm super easy to find. Perfect. Uh, even put my cell phone number up there. Uh, I think that's maybe how you got a hold of me is um, I'm not hard to find. So perfect. Always up for a conversation. I mean, we're on. The, I'm on this planet. You are too, and many of the other listeners to help others to leave this campsite better than we found it. So uh, yeah, I'll be darned if I'm not going to keep doing that to my dying day. So it's amazing and beautiful. Uh, thank you for that. I, I got a few kind of closing questions for you that uh, one of them I think you might have answered already, but uh, we'll ask. So I want you to imagine if, if today was your last day, you're reflecting on life and just rapid fire on these. I just well, I like to ask our guests. Um, first question I want to ask you, what, what are you most proud of? Oh, I would say that I learned along the way that winning is a journey of integrity. Mm. And uh, we all want like to win. We all hope to win. Um, and the way you can guarantee that is to be in integrity. You know what your definition of integrity is. Uh, and to be on that journey of integrity, um, you've won a long way. So, yeah. Winning the journey of integrity. Next question for you. Who do you want or how do you want to be remembered? Uh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, I, if I'm a remembered, that's fine. I guess the books will do that, but I, I'm not attached to that. I give, my kids have asked, you know, I don't know if they're getting things ready, but they say, where do you want to be buried? And it's like, I don't care. <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't, you know, you decide. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And then, and you may have answered this earlier. It might be the same as earlier, but so say, you, you only got to leave one piece of advice. You know, this show is all about the pursuit of, of being your best self, right? That's why it's called the pursuit. So you only get to leave one piece of advice to help them become their best self, live their best life. What's that one piece? Well, you've already heard, uh, never make a decision based on fear. So I will say this. Um, it's a competitive landscape. It's very competitive. And instead of doing what the competition's not doing, do what the competition is not willing to do. Mm -hmm. And what's your competition not willing to do? Well, typically, those are the things you're not willing to do either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so do what the high performers, the competition, the best of the best are not willing to do, and you will shock yourself and those around you with the results that you're able to accomplish. That is so good. Vince, thank you so much for today. This has been amazing. Uh, I know people are going to listen to this over and over. I can't wait for your next book to come out here later later this next year, I suppose. And like I said, looking forward to working more and more together. Uh, everybody, hey, as always, right? We, we put this on to bring you incredible people, high performers like Vince. And and there's no cost to this. You know, There's nothing to buy, nothing like that. So hey, do us a favor. Follow Vince on social media. Connect with him. Follow me on Instagram, at Ben Spangle. And, uh, you know, rank the show. If you're new to the show, click subscribe. We're going to be bringing more and more high caliber guests just like Vince. Thank you for being with us. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. And let's make the rest of our life the best of our life. Thanks, Vince. Appreciate you.